Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, thank you very much indeed, Raymond. And uh, it's great to see so many here this morning on this beautiful morning. Welcome, if any are here for the first time this week, you are very welcome indeed. I also want to take this opportunity, because this is the last morning of the Bible readings, to thank the committee of the convention uh, for all their sterling work behind the scenes, primarily before the convention, but also during it. And I'm sure none of the committee will mind if I just mention Eddie Curry, because he is the one who was in touch with me so often and emailed and met with me. And we're just so sorry that Eddie couldn't be here this week. And please pray that he will have a full recovery. We don't like backsliding Christians, and he's had quite a bit of back trouble. So uh, just pray that uh, that back strengthens up and that he's back to full strength and health and mobility again. But thank you to all the committee and everybody who has been working uh, both behind the scenes and on the scenes. And thank you to you as well. Uh, I have sensed uh, a hunger uh, amongst us this week. And also I have to tell you the the prayer meetings in the morning have been quite inspirational. Uh, I have been so encouraged at the spirit of prayer that has been there. There's passion, but there's also a lot of informed praying going on, and I've been very impressed by that. Uh, This morning, Michael, who was leading, encouraged us in a little part of the prayer time to pray for the children of missionaries that we knew, and it was quite extraordinary the number of Christian names that were mentioned, and that is so good. You know, we were looking at Antioch in the last two mornings and the missionary interest they had and caring for people and being willing to send two of their most gifted leaders out. And I remember hearing years ago somebody say, know a little about everywhere and know a lot about somewhere. And I think that's a good principle for people who want to have a missionary interest. It's good to know a little about everywhere, and that's one of the values of a convention like this, because we hear about reports from right around the world of what God is doing. But know a lot about somewhere in particular. Be specific, and that can count for a lot. So thank you to those who have been praying for the convention as well. Um, Somebody was praying for their grandchildren this morning. And it reminded me, you know, yesterday we were thinking about a church that's well taught and the importance of teaching. But, you know, those of us who uh, have grandchildren, remember that often the teaching's by example, not just from the pulpit. And I know of uh, a grandson about five or six years old, and he lost one of his little cars. And he was looking everywhere in the house for that little car, and he could not find it. And then his mother saw him disappear behind the settee in one of their rooms. And she heard from behind the settee this little six-year-old shout out, Praise the Lord! (laughs) And when he emerged from behind the settee, she said, she was quite shocked. She said, where did you hear that? Oh, he said, that's what granddad says when he finds things. (laughs) <laughs> and his grandfather knew nothing about it. You see, your teacher, I wonder if his grandfather had been swearing. Is that what would have come out of the little boy's mouth? It's amazing what's picked up 
and taught by example. I'd ask you to pray that we find a set of car keys that somewhere along the week we have mislaid. Uh, We just cannot find them. But let me show you something. This is just a very, very short video, and it's an illustration of something that is worse than losing your car keys. So if you think you've got a problem, (laughs) imagine being stranded on the moon and not able to get back in again. Anyway, (laughs) um, years ago at a missionary conference I was at, somebody said the following. I wonder, can you identify with it? To my deafness, I'm accustomed. To my dentures, I'm resigned. I can cope with my bifocals, but oh dear me, I miss my mind. (laughs) And I know 20-year-olds who are like that, as well as 80-year-olds. Anyway, um, it's been lovely to have minds that have been open this week and minds that have been informed and minds that want to be renewed in the truth of God and by the grace of God. Now, what are we going to look at this morning? Well, for those who haven't been here this week, on the first two mornings, We looked at two people who are not generally known as heroes of the faith. In fact, they could be described as two of the unknowns in the New Testament, Epaphras and Archippus. And the theme running through our week is models of mission for the 21st century. And I think that those of us who were here discovered that in Epaphras and Archippus, we discovered two models of mission for the 21st century. And then in, uh, on Wednesday morning and yesterday morning, we were looking at a church that's a model for mission in the 21st century, the church in Antioch. And we learned quite a few lessons about that church. This morning I want to conclude this series, and I just can't believe we're now at Friday morning. And uh, unfortunately, we have to move on after the um, Bible reading this morning, and we move on to continue the mission that God has called us into. And please do pray for the part of Ireland where we have the privilege of serving the Lord, and that's County Cavan, County Leitrim, County Sligo, County Longford, County Roscommon, and part of County Fermanagh as well in Northern Ireland, and in many ways, It's a forgotten part of Ireland. Some of the churches I'm serving in on Sundays have maybe seven or eight people there. Helen and I were in a church recently and there were nine in it. We were two of the nine and we felt like teenagers. Some of the churches I go to, uh, there is no music at all. No organist, no music group. The only music is recorded music and the small group of people join in with the recorded singing. And this is Ireland. So we would appreciate your prayers for uh, the part of Ireland where we have the privilege of serving, and it is. But I want to conclude this morning with looking at someone who surely is the best model for mission in the 21st century, and that's Jesus himself. 
Let me ask you this question. I wonder how you would answer it. Don't answer it out loud. Who would you say is the person or who are some of the people who have been the strongest influence for Christ in your life? Maybe someone or some people in the recent past or it may be in the distant past, but who are the people? Just think for a few moments of one or two people whom God brought into your life and into my life who actually had a huge impact on us for Christ. And I thank God for those people. And if we've never done it, if they're still alive, let's thank them as well. Give them a phone call. Write them a letter. Tell them. They may never know. They may never have known the influence you had on their lives. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, youth leader. I remember interviewing someone some years ago for a church post, and he said to me these words, and I've never forgotten it. My parents have been the major influence on my Christian life. Wow. As many a Christian parent would give anything to hear their son or their daughter say that. And then, uh, as you think of the answer uh, to that question, just think of the influence that Jesus Christ has had on the lives of millions of people throughout the generations. One of the greatest leaders that the church has ever known and one of the great missionaries, one of the greatest missionaries that the church has ever known was the Apostle Peter. And I'm quite sure if Peter was standing here beside me this morning and I had the privilege of interviewing him and said to him, Peter, who would you say has been the biggest influence in your life? Without any hesitation, he would say, Jesus Christ. And as you read the Acts of the Apostles, you see in the preaching and teaching of Peter that he focused on the person and work of Christ. He proclaimed there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. When God used him in healing, he healed in the name of Jesus Christ. No one had a greater influence in Peter's life than Jesus. How did it all start? For Peter. Well, turn with me to John chapter 1, please, verses 40 to 42. John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, Son of John, you will be called Kephas, which, when translated, is Peter. 
Note verse 42. Jesus looked at him and said, You are, you will be. There's a model of mission for the 21st century. And that's what we're going to unpack together this morning. You are, you will be. Jesus looked at him. Isn't it fascinating how much we can learn from the way someone looks at us? Have you ever been introduced to somebody and they say, oh, I'm delighted to meet you, but they're looking all around the room. Do you really think they're delighted to meet you when you see them looking north, south, east, and west? Or somebody comes up to you and shakes your hand and says, how are you? How different when somebody engages and, as Jesus did with Simon, looks at him. Some time ago, Helen and I were at a wedding reception and the father of the bride in his speech said, and I'm simply quoting, please, I'm not signing up for martyrdom here this morning, I'm simply reporting what was said at this wedding, okay? The father of the bride said, when God invented woman, he invented the look. Have you ever had the look? No words need to be spoken. My goodness, what a powerful message is conveyed by the look. And men can do it too. Women, isn't that right? The look. I think I said earlier in the week we have four daughters. Isn't it interesting when you're bringing up kids, how different they are and how the approach to children needs to be so different. With one of our girls, all she needed was the look. And that was sufficient discipline. Behavior changed. But with others, it was quite different. There is so much in a look. Someone was telling me this morning about a gentleman here who shall remain nameless, but he very kindly transported his wife to the hairdresser yesterday. He sat in the car waiting and he fell asleep and his phone wasn't on. Now, I don't know. I can't tell you more than that. Did he get the look? <laughs> I've no idea. Ask him if you know who he is. And good wife, love your enemies as well as your friends. <laughs> but please hear what I'm saying. Jesus looked at him. And I wonder what Peter saw in the eyes of Jesus as Jesus looked at him. And I wonder what Jesus was thinking as he looked at Simon, son of John. I wonder, was Jesus thinking, I'm going to have trouble with you? I wonder, was Jesus thinking, oh, and you have to be one of my disciples? If you've ever been a youth leader, you've taken a group of young people away. Have you ever seen him or her coming in the group and your heart sinks? You think, oh no, this would just be so different if he wasn't here or if she wasn't here. One look and you know, you can see it. I remember a Christian leader who used to take people away on skiing trips on the continent and he said there'd always be one 
They would arrive at the airport dressed in their brand new skiing gear from CNAs. You know, wouldn't be dressed normally. They just... And on this particular occasion, this girl who arrived in this outlandish ski outfit at the airport, one day my friend was skiing down the slopes and he saw her. And he went behind her and went... With whatever it is, I don't ski, but whatever it is, hit her. It actually wasn't his friend. (laughs) And he heard French the like of which he had never heard before. He got more than the look, I can tell you. He really did. But so often there's one. And you know, Peter was that one in the 12 disciples, wasn't he? The apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Always putting his big foot in it. Consistently getting it wrong. And yet Jesus looks at him and he says, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas. And I think here we have a model of mission for the 21st century. And here it is. The double vision of Jesus. Many years ago, the famous Methodist preacher, Dr. Sangster, when he was preaching on this verse in John chapter 1, entitled his sermon, The Double Vision of Jesus. You see, the principle is this. Jesus Christ sees us not just as we are, but he sees what we can be and we will be in him. Hallelujah. He sees us not just as we are, but he sees what we can become. He sees worth. He sees potential. This is the Jesus way. You remember on Sunday night we started with when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And I wonder, have we developed that Jesus habit of not only looking at the people we meet with compassion, but also looking at the people we meet and seeing what God sees in them and seeing the potential that is there? I wonder how many of us are sitting here in this church this morning because there were people God sent into our lives who were like Jesus and they saw potential in us and they persevered with us and they were patient with us. They didn't give up. And it's because of their commitment to you and to me that we're here today. They were channels of Jesus' truth and Jesus' love. They prayed for us. They encouraged us. They were patient with us. They didn't give up on us. Others did, perhaps. They, they prayed for us. I remember when I was about 14 years old and a pupil at Sullivan Upper Hollywood, maybe I was even 15, I don't know. I'm actually nearly ashamed to tell you, but I was at a script union house party and the teacher at 3 o'clock in the morning had to put me over his knee. And a slipper was applied to my seat of learning. Some call it the Board of Education was applied to the seat of learning. Now, please, just in case there's somebody about to ring a solicitor that there was physical abuse in Sullivan Upper it wasn't. It wasn't. But he was just make, he was making a point, and I needed to learn a lesson. He never gave up on me. Only a couple of months ago, I received a letter in the post, and on the envelope, I recognized the writing. It reminded me of my school reports. That same teacher, every so often I'll get a letter from him or a phone call. And the letter will always include, I am praying for you. 
And for nearly 50 years, Stanley Mills has prayed for me and countless others. He didn't give up on us. And there are people in Christian leadership all over the world now through the influence of Scripture Union leaders, Bible class leaders, faith mission pilgrims, pastors, teachers, missionary leaders, whoever they are. Thank God for those people. Like Jesus, they had double vision. They saw us not just as we were, but they saw potential we perhaps didn't even see in ourselves. That's the word, isn't it? Potential. Potential. And Jesus Christ sees potential. Far too quickly, we write people off. Jesus saw a strict Pharisee, a kind of religious paramilitary. As we read the other morning in the Acts of the Apostles, this man was going off to destroy Christians. But Jesus loved him, died for him, saw his worth, saw potential in him, stopped him in his tracks on the Damascus Road, and he became the Apostle Paul. Hallelujah. That's what our God can do. That's mission. That's the new creation. And story after story we have heard this week, whether it's from Africa or Asia or Cuba or wherever it is, Greece, of God changing lives. Why? Because he loves them and Christ sees the potential in the heart and life of every human being. People from different political and cultural backgrounds. People with different temperaments and personalities. Doesn't matter who we are or what we are. Let me ask you another question. Think of a scene, or or ask you to think of something. Think of a scene this morning which actually accurately reflects your life and temperament at this time. Can you think of a scene? Maybe some of us are so peaceful and filled with peace this morning that the scene that immediately comes into our mind is of a lake and the surface of the water is like glass and the reflection on the water is almost perfect. That's your life this morning. Totally peaceful. Maybe for others there's a bit of a a storm on the lake because you're going through a particularly difficult and stretching time. I wonder if you were to think of a scene which would accurately reflect the life of Peter as we read about Peter in the Gospels. What kind of scene would you think of? Here's the scene I would think of. A volcano. That's our Peter. Constantly erupting. Certainly not an extinct volcano. Because every so often as we read through the Gospels, Peter just erupts. He puts his great big foot in it again. By temperament and personality, he was pushy, self-confident, brash. He was impulsive. He was hot-tempered. He was undisciplined. He would act on impulse rather than reason. He had a hot head and cold feet. He would speak now and think later. His mind and his mouth didn't always connect with each other. Do you know people like that? Of course you do. We're some of them, or some of us here are those people. He would consistently annoy and irritate. 
In John chapter 13, Jesus seeks to prepare his disciples for his departure. Peter asks the Lord, where are you going? And he's told he can't follow him. And Peter says, Master, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Hear those words. I'll lay down my life for you, says the brash Peter. And Jesus says, really? You lay down your life for me? The truth is that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And that's precisely what happened. Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. He made these extravagant claims, these rash promises, these hasty responses. But as the Americans say, when the rubber hits the road, he denies the Lord, just as Jesus predicted. And once again, his mouth has rushed ahead of his intentions. Or think of another example, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was arrested. Do you remember the circumstances? Jesus is there, the the group come to arrest Jesus. Who tries to defend Jesus? Who strikes out? Well, there's only one disciple would do that. It's obvious, isn't it? Simon Peter. What does he do? Poor, Poor Malchus loses his ear because Peter loses his head. And Peter strikes out with the sword and he cuts off an ear of Malchus, one of these people who's come in this gang to arrest Jesus. Now, please do not take this as inspired or authoritative, but can, can I share with you the Clark understanding of that situation? If I was writing a commentary on that passage, I would be suggesting the following. Peter wasn't aiming for the guy's ear, he was aiming for his neck and he missed and hit the ear and cut it off instead. Because that was the kind of person Peter was. Do you know anybody like that in your family? In your church? In the group of people you hang around with? Jesus loves that person. And Jesus sees that person not just as they are now, but as what they can be. Even an erupting volcano can be transformed by Christ. May God forgive us for the way we too quickly reach hasty conclusions about people and write them off. The kind of mission that honors God is not about writing people off. It's about drawing them in. It's about reaching out to them. This kind of principle is, I suppose, illustrated supremely in what's called the ultimate chain letter. I wonder if you ever heard of the ultimate chain letter. It goes like this. If you are unhappy with your pastor, simply have your deacons send a copy of this letter to six other churches who are tired of their pastor. Then bundle up your pastor and send them to the church at the top of the list in this letter. Within a week, you will receive 16,435 pastors. And one of them should be all right. (laughs) Have faith in this chain for pastors. Do not break the chain. One church did and they got their old pastor back again. (laughs) 
too quickly, we are over hasty in reaching conclusions about people. Jesus looked at Simon, son of John. He said, so you are, but you will be, you will be, you will be. And mission-hearted, Christ-like people are people who go around in their minds and their hearts thinking, you will be, you will be. Isn't that the vision Claire has as she goes around those people in North Africa? So few Christians, but you will be, as she looks into the eyes of a Muslim woman. Or Raimundo in Cuba. All those people there, looking into the eyes, not just as you are now, but as you will be. Shankill Road in Belfast. Oh, that man, people have written him off. (laughs) You will be, by the grace of God and the power of his Holy Spirit. Whoever we are, whatever our circumstances, whatever our personality type, Jesus Christ can take us and use us for his glory. Why? Because Jesus sees potential. And he's called us to be pointers. We served for 15 years in Coleraine, and um, very, very often during those years, we'd have had uh, new people who'd moved into the town come to the church some Sunday morning or evening. And in welcoming them at the door, very often I would say to them these words, you are so welcome here today, but I want you to know we will not be putting any pressure on you to stay. That's between you and God. And we encourage you to look around and see where is the church God wants you to be and the fellowship he wants you to be a part of. And I'd say to them, you know, we are quite happy to be a signpost pointing people to the church where God wants them to be. And we encourage you to do what he wants you to do. And that's fine. There's no problem. But for others, we'll be the fireside around which we gather, in which we grow, and from which we reach out. So there's no pressure. We're happy to be a signpost. We're happy to be a fireside. All of us are called to be signposts. Isn't that what John the Baptist did? Behold the Lamb of God. That's what Peter became, a signpost. Look at the numbers of people Peter uh, preached to. Look at the people converted on the day of Pentecost. Look at the people Peter pointed to Christ. I wonder if you ever heard this superb poem by the American pastor and evangelist Sam Shoemaker. I quote, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. Men die outside that door, as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him, Christ. So I stand 
by the door. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes I venture in a little farther, but my place seems to be closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from people as not to hear them. And remember, they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. And so I stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. And in mission-minded and hearted churches in the 21st century, there are people like Sam Schumacher who have caught this vision of standing by the door and helping people come in and find Christ. That's a calling in all of our lives, by the way. And may the Lord use many more of us to lead more and more to the inside. And may God prevent us from forgetting what it's like On the outside. You know one of the biggest challenges some of us have who have been Christians for years and years? We've forgotten what it's like to be on the outside. And we've forgotten that actually some of our ways can be strange on the inside. Some of the words we use, some of the songs we sing, they're they're part and parcel of us, but it's a totally new language. It's a totally new world to people who have never been part of a church. wonder if you ever heard Packy Hamilton give his testimony, the converted paramilitary. He talks about going into a church. It was a Presbyterian church, and the minister appeared up in the front wearing his black gown. And Packy thought to himself, Who's a dear Batman has just walked in? And then he said there were people came round, took my money off me, a couple of bouncers. Well, you see, for people who are outside of the church, they don't know words like deacons and church wardens and pastoral assistants. That's a whole new language. They've come from another world. And pray that more will come from that other world. Don't write them off. Tonight is a youth night here. Pray for all these young people coming in. Think of the kind of world that many of our young people are living in today. Many just feel they have no worth. They don't matter to anybody. They're just a statistic or a number. One university sent letters out to their new students and said, Dear student number 569-342-015. In this university, we take a personal interest in you. Well, 
it somehow contradicts itself, doesn't it? But so many just feel they don't matter. Isn't it extraordinary that particularly in the Western world today, where individualism is rampant, so many individuals feel undervalued, worthless, don't matter to anybody. This was brought home to me very forcefully about 10 years ago in Time magazine. When approaching the new millennium, Time magazine did a focus on some young people in the United States of America. And I quote, This is a disgusting generation. It's a disgusting time to live. It's boring, says Alexandra Lynn, who is 15, going on 25, as she languidly smokes a cigarette with a gaggle of similarly jaded teens in Greenwich Village's Washington Square Park on a sultry Wednesday night. The 90s is an exhausted decade. There's nothing to look for and nowhere to go. This generation really hasn't got any solid ground. I mean, the 60s, the 1960s had solid ground, but that's gone now. The only thing we have to rebel against is rebelling itself, says Alexandra. Remember, 15 years old. She continued, everything has been done and everything has been stood for, everything has been fought over, and basically, it's now like there's no more debate. What is there to do? There's nothing to do, there's nothing even to look at, because the shock value is gone. Her buddy Harry Siegel elaborates on this point. Harry said, and I quote, the ability to howl at the moon has been lost, he laments. The counterculture has been absorbed by the culture. The blue hair and the pierced nipples are trite and no one pays them any notice. Nothing is outside the fold. Isn't that a description of our culture in the West today? Nothing is outside the fold. And even as followers of Christ, we have become immune to some of the things we see on television. And they grieve our God. Nothing is outside the fold. And there's a Christ on the cross with his arms outstretched who longs to bring them into his fold. No solid ground. Nothing to build on that will last. That's where so many people are today. And they need to meet people who see potential in them just as Jesus did and does. People who see that they're of worth and value, people who are not out to get from them, but people who are out to give to them. And Peter found in Jesus Christ solid ground. How we need to recapture this missionary principle and Jesus' vision of seeing potential. And please, folks, could I say something? It's not just seeing potential in young people. Seeing potential in the Saga generation, too. I have a dear friend, he's now in glory. When he was 80 years old, his two sons gave him a computer at 80. He learned how to use the computer. Within six months, he was doing Bible translation work for the Wycliffe Bible Translators on his computer in Port Stewart. 80 years old. 
My wife quoted from a book yesterday afternoon at the women's meeting. The man who wrote that book has written six books. Do you know how and why? Because he started going to a word processing course when he was 69. Serving the Lord. So it doesn't matter what age we are. The potential is there. But is the hunger there and is the heart there? That's the key thing. Well, we need to finish. Let me just give you one final illustration of how potential can be realized. I wonder if you ever heard the story of Teddy Stollard. Let me tell you Teddy's story. He was the kind of kid who got invited to parties. He kind of slouched in his chair. He looked bored most of the time. He only spoke when people spoke to him and when he did speak, it was in monosyllables. You know that feeling? Ever had teenagers? How are you today? <gasps> but then where did they learn it? Did they not hear mum asking dad as he was reading the newspaper in front of the TV, how was your day at work today, darling? <gasps> so you know where they learned it. Don't blame them. Anyway... Teddy never dressed right. He had smelly clothes. He was a rather unattractive boy. So he didn't get invited to parties. Whenever his teacher would mark Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse pleasure out of marking all the wrong answers because there were many. She would put F, failure, on top with a little flare. She might have known better because this was Teddy's history. Let me tell you his history. It was on record. First grade. Teddy is a good boy and shows promise, but he has a poor home situation. Year later, second grade, Teddy is quiet and withdrawn. His mother is terminally ill. Year later, third grade, Teddy is falling behind. His mother died this year. His father is uninvolved. Year later, fourth grade, Teddy is hopelessly backward. His father has moved away. Teddy's living with an aunt. He's deeply troubled. Christmas came, and all the schoolchildren brought presents to school. They were carefully wrapped, except for the present Teddy brought. It was packaged in brown paper held together with tape, but it was marked on the package for Miss Thompson from Teddy. Miss Thompson was Teddy's teacher. And the teacher would open the gifts that she'd received from the class one by one to admire them all. But when she opened Teddy's, his present to his teacher, Miss Thompson, was a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing. And there was a bottle of perfume, but most of the perfume had gone from the bottle. The other children started to laugh. But Miss Thompson caught herself and she put the bracelet on and she said to the class, isn't this lovely class? And she lifted the perfume and she said, boys and girls, doesn't this perfume smell good? At the end of the class, Teddy came up to the teacher very shyly and he said, Miss Thompson, I'm glad you liked my gifts. All day long, you have smelled like my mother. 
And her bracelet looked nice on you too, Miss Thompson. After Teddy left, Miss Thompson put her head down on her desk and she cried. She asked God to forgive her. She prayed that God would help her to see what he sees when he looks at a motherless boy. And now she looks at a boy without his mother. And so when the kids came back to the school next day, they actually had a new teacher. Miss Thompson was different. She tutored the children who needed extra help. She gave Teddy a lot of extra help. And by the end of the year, he had caught up with most of his classmates and indeed was ahead of some of them. After that, she didn't hear from Teddy for quite a while. And then one day she received a note, and this is what the note said. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be first, the first to know I am graduating from high school and I am second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, she got another note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I am graduating first in my class. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, she got another note from Teddy. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, M.D. How about that? I want you to come to sit where my mother would have sat because you're the nearest thing to family I've ever had. Love, Teddy Stollard. And Miss Thompson went. And how did that all start? Because Miss Thompson started to live like Jesus. Because Miss Thompson started to see what Jesus sees. Because Miss Thompson had double vision. May God grant that you and I are people with the double vision of Jesus. And let us pray that our churches will be churches with double vision too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the times when we do not see people as you see them. Please, Lord, please, Lord, help us to see what you see and fill our hearts with that compassion that's in yours. And by the grace, your amazing grace, Lord, May we be people with double vision and may we see you at work in life after life after life. May we see potential realized and God honored. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.